Okay, there's something that I want to talk about, and uh, it's just me talking to you, whoever's listening, because it's something that I'm really excited about, and I feel like this is going, well, it's definitely going to be a work in progress, Um, and I feel like I want to bring other people in on this journey with me. Actually, I've already brought a lot of, a few people in on this journey with me, but Uh, I think there might be more people who might want to follow along. Uh, So I've been racking my brain for the last, I'd say pretty seriously for the last year, and then uh, even like more casually since my first book was published, uh, around this idea of what my, basically what my next contribution might be which I sort of imagined would be a book, but it felt more like uh, a, a content contribution, like an intellectual contribution to, to something. And uh, that probably would have a written component and it would probably have some kind of other component. So I don't know if it's like, you know, whatever, videos, lectures, podcasts, you know, whatever. But then like a coaching, workshops, like, you know, this bigger sort of umbrella of stuff that that is, I don't know, engaging people or working with people or helping people develop or something. And so it's gone through a few different iterations. So I guess one of the, I'll just give you a bit of a background in terms of where I was after my first book was published. And uh, I'll be totally honest with you. Uh, I don't like my book. I, um, I see lots of flaws in it. Fine. We all do that. But I think my flaws are are significant and I'm not going to tell you what those are because you may not have noticed them and you may have, and that's fine too. But the biggest thing that I don't like about the book is that it isn't the book that I intended to write. So I, I started writing this back in 2003, uh, and it went through I was really serious. I wrote, I wrote, I wrote for a very long time, uh, like literally within a month of just like writing, writing, writing. And I dumped all this stuff out and it was great and I loved it. And then my computer crashed and I lost most of it. And I took that as a sign that I wasn't going in the right direction. And maybe it, (coughs) excuse me, I have a cold. I have Sarah's cold, by the way. Uh, Sarah was here recently visiting and, uh, Instead of her getting sick, I, I took one for our team and I got sick. So, uh, Sarah, if you're listening, I'm graciously accepting my cold right now so that you could feel better. So, um, yeah, so I just felt like that wasn't the book. And the big thing about that book, and actually, as I'm imagining it now unfolding, it, it really wasn't that. But the work that I did there really is informing my perspective right now. And... That book at the time was about neuropsychoideology. And neuropsychoideology was this new framework, this new concept that emerged in my brain about how we need to understand our own mind and brain and behavior and thought patterns and emotions and all of that. And I was using myself as an example to explain this concept and in the process explain 
lots of concepts in neuroscience. So uh, I had all these chapters that were laid out and they mimicked what a typical like biopsychology or uh, behavioral neuroscience textbook would look like, except instead of it just being written in a classic textbook way, it was written in a narrative, uh, in an autobiography format, and that was me. So I became the example to explain uh, eating behavior or sleeping behavior or sexual behavior or uh, anxiety, depression, mental health, you know, all those things, and uh, drugs and behavior, all these things that we typically find in a, in a neuroscience book, like a behavioral psycholo- psychology neuroscience or biopsychology book. So my book that I published, Self Science, uh, was nothing, was very little to do like that. It, you know, there was, there was a flare of it and I tried to bring that in, but I really got pushed in this direction to make it more of an activity book, partially from the publisher, my editor, and partially from my own belief that it had to be that way. <coughs> Excuse me. And I don't want to say that it was wrong. It just, it was what it was. But ever since it was published, I felt unsettled. I felt like there was something else that I really wanted to do. And so I've started like four other books in the process of trying to figure that out. And like I said, in the last year, it's felt like I've been really working at figuring this out and I've done all these different strategies and, and actually, uh, so I'll, I'll actually, I want to talk about some of those iterations because they're important and they come back into this. So one of them was this like deep desire to help ignite and leverage the skills and talents of women. And I chose, I just chose those words very carefully uh, because I didn't want to say things like empower or, or help women because it's not about that. It's about it really is about leveraging these skills that I think, and I don't want to say just women, but I want to say, uh, so maybe we could classify them as like feminine qualities. And, and by that, I mean the power of like connection, the power of the collective, the power of emotion, the power of intuition, the power of empathy, the power of compassion, uh, the, the power of like holistic thinking, the power of, you know, non-hierarchical working together, you know, like a a different way, like the community, a different way of existing in this world that has not been revered and if anything has been oppressed by the male energies of the world, which unarguably have been dominating our existence. So I really feel like we're in this space where there's a shift. There is a shift from the the masculine dominant energies to the feminine. I mean, this became very clear to me when President Trump was elected and Hillary Clinton was not. Uh, I don't want to get too much into the politics, but that that shattered a lot of people. And that was a wake-up call for, I think, a lot of women. It shocked us into realizing how, how little power we actually were having. And that was an impetus for the Me Too movement where women began to step up and say, you know what? Enough. 
we're taking charge of this. We're, we're exposing the shit that's happening. And then so much has happened as a result of that. And we see, we see change. And that's become really exciting. And it took a really devastating experience for many of us. Like I personally felt sick to my stomach when I woke up the morning after the U.S. election in 2016 and realized that Hillary Clinton didn't win. I absolutely was not prepared for that. Like many people, we thought that it was going to be a Democratic win with Hillary Clinton. And I was in shock and I was disgusted by the state of affairs. But soon, even within that 24-hour period, I realized that as bad as it felt, this was rock bottom and we were going to emerge from that. And I really feel like we are. And I'm excited to see what has already happened in the last uh, two years, two and a half years. So there's that, okay? So I have this desire to do that. I thought that it was going to be a book about that. But I started writing and nothing, you know, I got really stuck. Like nothing was coming. It didn't feel clear. I thought about running workshops. But again, it just felt like I wasn't, (coughs) it wasn't clear. I thought about starting a new community, uh, like a curated community to bring women together to tackle these issues. (coughs) But again, it just, it got stuck. It doesn't, doesn't feel like it had a lot of momentum. And then a second parallel line of work that's also like, so that women stuff has been around me and in me for decades. This wasn't new. It just sort of felt like I had a direction where I could take it to the next level with my own particular contribution. Another thing that's been around me for a very long time is the idea of child rearing, child care, parenting, education, uh, particularly for, for little kids, but then all the way up to the big kids that I teach at the university level. So the education system and, uh, and parenting is part of that because I really do believe that parents are primary educators of their children in addition to the teachers who are uh, brought in as part of that community of educators. They're big parts. The teachers are big parts. If anything, the parents are secondary, but there's, you know, anyway, I don't, that's beside the point. Uh, We're all educators of the children uh, anywhere up until adulthood. And I've talked previously, like Jen and I have talked in season one about you know, different models and alternative learning and learning styles. And, you know, her and I tried to work at creating some kind of tool to capture these different learning styles and document what kind of stuff parents could see in their children. And again, like it was really exciting. I even did a few coaching sessions with people to talk about, to interview them, so to speak, or to help them see some of the intelligence in their children, some of the strengths in their children. And it went a certain distance, but it felt like it it just had no momentum. Again, it got stuck. The other thing was related to this is the idea of neuropsychoideology 
but applied to my own child because that was also something I thought I would do as a second book to the first one back in 2003 when I was really conceptualizing this. That the next iteration would be me observing my child from his birth and so, or her at the time, I didn't know what kind of child I would have and being able to document things so that the, my child could have more information about their early years in a way that I didn't have access to anymore because, you know, most parents don't have that much documentation on, on what their children was doing. So I don't know what I was thinking as a child. I don't know what I was really strong at or not. And, uh, I can guess some things, but Anyway, that, you know, so I've, I've written a lot and I've been, and I've used that, like I've been really thinking about my child for the last three and a half years and where his strengths are and what kind of things are emerging and what patterns that I've seen. Like neuropsychoideology is really about patterns and being able to see the same patterns, which is ultimately the same strengths and potentially weaknesses show up over and over again throughout our life. And that that becomes an indication of how our brain actually works, how our mind works, how our emotions work, etc. And so, again, I've done a lot of that. I've done a lot of uh, thinking, documenting, writing about that. But again, it just was like, I can't write a book all about my child. Like, it, it just, there was something, I was stuck with that. And then I landed on this idea. Okay, so separately then, um, I guess not separately. So yeah, so thinking all the, about the different ways that children and people are really intelligent. And so in the process of all this, I've I've really gotten interested in the idea of multiple intelligences. According to Howard Gardner, who was a psychologist who proposed these back in like, I think it was the, the 80s or late 90s, or late 80s, early 90s. And uh, I, I really happened upon that and felt very quickly like it was an opportunity to provide language around skills and talents and intelligences in individuals where there previously was little. And so typically when we talk about intelligence, we think of classic ideas like book smart, uh, reading and writing, math, logic, uh, which then applies itself to disciplines like engineering and science, and of course, math, accounting, you know, those, those types of intelligence that almost feel, well, they're, they're much easier to assess in a lot of ways. Like we can assess those with uh, standard paper and pencil testing or what we would now do online possibly. And then to some degree, like a spatial intelligence that would be sort of like a second generation addition to a lot of the IQ tests, but <coughs> being able to, you know, visualize different objects. And so if you, if you do any sort of standard IQ testing, a lot of it is, you know, assessing language comprehension, vocabulary, uh, analogies, uh, writing, and then a lot of the math and quantitative ways of thinking and assessing and knowledge, and then also the spatial stuff. 
so the idea of multiple intelligence that Gardner put forward challenged us to think more broadly about intelligence. And so it's not just that we have these set domains, but that there are additional intelligences. And so, for example, so he talks about eight different intelligences. So one intelligence, so he includes verbal linguistic intelligence. Uh, He also talks about logic, mathematical intelligence, and he talks about (coughs) visual spatial. And just, so the visual spatial one, I just want to talk about a little bit more. I'm going to go through all of them, but that one is easier to understand when you think about like how someone might enter a room and pay more attention to the design of the room and the, and maybe the colors and be able to visualize decorating the room or reorganizing the furniture, even without actually doing it, but just bringing that up in their mind or being able to visualize a city and how to get from one place to the other with a very clear image in their mind. Um, Also, you know, in, in science and being able to visualize uh, molecules if you're a chemist or being able to visualize anatomy if you're a biologist. Pictures, thinking in pictures, I guess, is another way. Graphing things with pictures or being able to like communicate through imagery and pictures. There's obviously more variation of that, but that's sort of, you know, an an overview of how you would imagine that. And interestingly, that is a skill set or an intelligence that as far as we've been able to research, seems to express itself a little bit more in males compared to females. So those are the sort of the three. And then... In addition to those, the five others that uh, Howard Gardner talks about include a bodily kinesthetic intelligence. And so this is an intelligence where we sort of learn how to interact with the world or understand our world through our body. So it involves things like a deeper body awareness, knowing how to use your body in space, um, being potentially more sensitive to what's going on in your body and on top of your body. So feeling things, maybe having more access to all the parts of your body, being able to plan how you're going to use your body to do things, being able to have your body move in as a, in order to mimic someone else's movements. I mean, that would involve a little bit of visual spatial in addition to your own body. Uh, Having a good sense of direction, knowing where your body is in space. Like imagine coming out of a, a hotel at a new city that you're in or coming out of the bus of a new city and, and sort of having an intuitive sense of like where you are. That would be an example of like bodily kinesthetic intelligence or, you know, athletes or uh, dancers who have a really good sense of their body and can mimic what they see or 
uh, be told how to move their body and they, they just have that ability to do that. Their body moves really easily. So like elite athletes, professional dancers would all probably be very strong in bodily kinesthetic intelligence. There's, and then another one is, uh, these two I, I really like because th- these ones I think of as typically being categorized as more feminine intelligence. So things like intrapersonal intelligence, so intra referring to being really smart about and knowledgeable about what's going on inside of me. So being very self-reflective, uh, being very self-aware, having lots of self-knowledge. So, and using that to like interact through the world and also uh, learn about the world and make decisions about the world. So being really clear on what I am on the inside and and feel that uh intuition might be part of that um also spending a lot of time reflecting like having a a sort of deep desire or innate feeling of just wanting to know why you think the things that you do or even just thinking a lot about yourself journaling uh like naturally journaling processing through through your your own internal sense of the world. The other one that's complementary to that is interpersonal intelligence would be which would be the intelligence of how of human relationships, how how we, me, I interact with other people, <coughs> uh, being able to observe the interaction with other people and understanding that very clearly, being able to see things like nuances to a relationship that possibly other people don't. Um, being a good leader, manager, being really persuasive with other people, being able to like lead people, take charge of people, organize people, um, negotiate really well, either with other people or be a negotiator of two parties, so like mediate in between people. And then also possibly like have a sense of other people. So feeling the energy of other people, being able to know how someone else feels by looking at them, by being in their circle, by being in their presence. So the sense of empathy would be very strongly tied to this interpersonal intelligence. Maybe it should even be called empathic intelligence. And then another one is the nature intelligence. And that's having a very keen sense of understanding of nature, of plants, uh, the, the earth, the environment, the weather, waves, snow, you know, anything that sort of manifests itself, animals, all of that sort of like wild wilderness, wildlife, uh, being on the sea, you know, being a a sailor, like a, a good sailor, like things like that would probably involve a lot of 
nature intelligence, connecting with animals, connecting with plants, being a good gardener, knowing, knowing how to properly care for plants and doing a good job at it, either inside your house or outside your house and, and enjoying that, knowing how to really properly naturally care for animals, knowing how to read animals, knowing how to read the atmosphere, feeling possibly what it's like outside, being affected emotionally by, very clearly by the weather or by the amount of green that you have around you, needing to be by the water. All of these things would be examples of uh, an intelligence or a connection with nature. I think I said them all. So uh, logic, mathematical, verbal, linguistic, bodily kinesthetic, intrapersonal, interpersonal, and um, nature, music. That's the last, the wall, the last one of the, of the main ones. No, I'm missing one still. Music intelligence. Musical intelligence is probably... Um, obvious. So people, I'm just looking up my thing here. Uh, musical intelligence, like we've, we all know someone who's like a brilliant musician, right? The unfortunate part is that we often don't <coughs> think of them as intelligent. So when we're talking about, uh, you know, intelligence in that way, like high intelligence, like a genius. We don't necessarily call someone who's a musician a genius, but I would say in this new model, they are, they are a genius when they're really heightened in that particular intelligence. And so, you know, understanding, like having the ability to produce music and hear music and replicate that, um, having like a good ear for music, having a good body rhythm, which could involve body smart in combination with music smart. Um, feeling the, the music very innerly, which again, could it be a little bit of bodily kinesthetic mixing with music intelligence? You know, being able to pick up lots of different instruments. I remember I chose to do the trumpet in grade seven band because I was so not musically inclined that I figured the trumpet was probably the easiest because there's only three buttons on it. So how hard could that be? Well, I was unpleasantly surprised at how difficult it was and I hated it. I am so not into music. That is not my skill set at all. I am not musically intelligent. I once was told by uh, a friend of mine, Chantal Kraviazic, that I was tone deaf when I sang happy birthday on an answering machine to, to a mutual friend of ours and she heard it. <laughs> and uh, like, I don't even, I don't even know how to not be like, I don't, I have no sense of what tone hearing is. <laughs> like, it's just not how my brain works. But there are people who are very gifted in this and and even if you're not like incredibly gifted it's just it's something that you're you're good at it can, you can you get how music is you get the language of music you get how to produce it you know you can 
imagine different musical instruments working together, or you can be a conductor and you know actually hear all the music. You hear things are, that are in harmony. You can tone or tune a piano or a guitar just by listening to it. Like I, that boggles my mind in so many ways. I cannot even imagine them. So that's the eighth one. So that was the eighth one. The bodily kinesthetic was one I forgot earlier to list when I was listing them. So there's eight of those primary intelligence. And then later on, Howard Gardner adapted his multiple intelligence to talk about or to include an existential intelligence, which is a deep understanding of our existence and a deep questioning and concern for our existence. So it would include, uh, you know, having big existential questions, wondering why we are here, uh, and maybe having a sense of how we exist in this like whole oneness of of an experience. So spirituality, deep, uh, raw knowledge of spirituality and a connection with the spirituality, regardless of religion, would be part of this. Having a keen ability to maybe understand different religions and see (coughs) commonalities and be able to be not non-judgmental of other faiths and see a commonality that emerges above that. Eckhart Tolle does a lot of that in in his books. It talks about the sort of Buddhism and Christianity and possibly other faiths as well. I can't remember. And, and, and doesn't really restrict that awareness that he has to any one of those faiths and just explains how like Jesus would have had that even though he you know, was the leader of what would become the Christian faith. But his intelligence, his existential intelligence would have been across all of them. The Buddha is another example that Eckhart Tolle at least would say is someone who would become the the sort of epitome of Buddhism, but he himself would have transcended all the different religions at the core. So the teachings, the essence are the same and the ability to see beyond those and transcend the categories would be an existential intelligence or a, or a spiritual intelligence in that sense. An awareness of how we are all connected and the oneness that exists that binds us would be part of that existential intelligence. Possibly like having a really deep sense of community would be a combination of existential intelligence with interpersonal intelligence. And then being able to feel when the community is off might bring in bodily kinesthetic intelligence. Or someone who is a musician, like a spiritual, a deep spiritual musician, might be able to move people, groups of people, herds of people through their musical and existential and interpersonal intelligence. So anyway, these are 
I really love this idea of multiple intelligence. And I also, so I think it's an opportunity to share this with other people so that people start to appreciate the intelligences that are within them and not limit their belief in their own intelligence to those sort of original like logic, mathematical and verbal linguistic type intelligence, but see beyond that and see that the intelligences that make up humans is actually much more complex. And it's a a bigger profile than we ever actually knew before. In addition to this, I think there are other elements that are important to bring into this to really hone in on where a particular person's intelligence exists because we can't reduce it to just these nine intelligences. I think there are other factors that come in. And one of the other things that I, the other uh, ways of assessing this that I think are really, that's really useful and a lot of work that's been done is really good is the via character strengths. And these have emerged uh, within the positive psychology domain. And there are, I can't even remember how many there are, 25, I think. Um, I can pull that up. I will put this all in the show notes, by the way, and links to some of how you can start to assess this. Um, Okay, here it is. (coughs) So how, you know, I'm just going to give you a couple of ideas of what the different uh, character strengths are. So character strengths are broken down into uh, one, two, three, four, five, six overarching categories of like wisdom, courage, humanity, justice, temperance, and transcendence. And then within each of those, there are several other uh, sub sort of categories. So for example, a virtue of wisdom would involve strength in creativity, curiosity, judgment, love of learning, and perspective. And I'll just give you one more to... uh, uh, A virtue of... Courage, for example, would be broken down into bravery, perseverance, honesty, and zest. And so there's a good assessment tool to provide individuals with the top five character strengths, uh, so of the ones within the virtue, and allow. And there's a lot of evidence. Uh, it's evidence-based in the sense that they've been collecting a lot of data and refined this, and it's a pretty good tool. So I'll post a link about that. And I think that when you combine the ideas of multiple intelligence with these strengths and virtues, then what we get is a really powerful profile of an individual. So the problem is that we don't have a good assessment of multiple intelligence. And Howard Gardner himself is aware of that and acknowledges that. And I don't think, it doesn't sound like he's been very worried about it, um, but it makes it difficult from a scientific perspective to say this is how we we capture this and that we can then do research and know more about this. So one of the things that I feel like I'm going to take on is trying to help people access the knowledge of their own intelligence and combine that with an understanding of their character strengths and their virtues so that we can ultimately 
work with those intelligence and those strengths and virtues in our life so that we end up using them more often and that that can help people feel more fulfilled and well, but it can also help the world and humanity because the more that we're using our gifts and our skills and our talents and our intelligence, the more we're contributing to the advancement of humanity, really. And so, you know, a big goal for me is is to advance humanity. I mean, that is why I'm doing most of what I'm doing. It's out of curiosity and a desire to make the world better. And this is what I think I want to contribute to that. And I can imagine, so this is where it comes back to those other things that I've been racking my brain with over the last whatever part of my life, because I think this can apply to things like children's education and child rearing. So how we parent based on the uniqueness of the child and drawing out these intelligence and strengths and virtues and catering to those so that that child can be the best manifestation of those strengths and then do their good work that they're meant to do that the world needs. And then even at a post-secondary education, so it doesn't end just in childhood. It's like, this is what I want to do as a professor is provide opportunities for students to really explore what these are inside of them individually and then use them as a way of learning and a way of contributing their intelligence into the world and strengths and virtues. I also think that this addresses my need to leverage women's innate skills and intelligences. I think most of these are sort of thought of as new intelligence or they're they're sort of the modern look at intelligence because we have not historically been valuing these. And so, you know, there's no reason in my mind why intrapersonal and interpersonal intelligences are not equal to logical, mathematical, and verbal linguistics. Like these are intelligences. These are things that access knowledge and how people access knowledge and navigate through life. And there is a use for all of them and there's a necessity for all of them. So none of them are more important than the other. They just showcase in different way and they manifest in different way. And we have been suppressing individual like ourselves and also oppressing as a community, as a culture, most of these, and that's not contributing to the betterment of humanity. So I think this can also help, I hate the word help, this can also leverage those skills and strengths and virtues and intelligences that have predominantly been undervalued in women women and um, as feminine qualities. So even within men who demonstrate these and haven't felt like they've been able to really fully express them. So my goal is to get more of these expressed in this world. And how I want to do that is I want to create a, an assessment. So big, huge, 
endeavor, but I want to tap into these multiple intelligences, combine it with character strengths and virtues, and probably a few other measures as well. And then also, uh, and do this through surveys, do this through interviews, and do this through field assessment as well. So seeing people actually exist. So watching people's brains work. Um, So side note, this is also neuropsychoideology because it is about understanding our unique and my individual brain and behavior and thinking and emotions and really being able to understand what it is for me and then use those and express those through life. And then the the big part of this is like doing coaching, (coughs) coaching around um, helping people leveraging people. I'm going to stop saying the word helping, leveraging people so that they can use this and equipping them with strategies so they can use this more. And then it becomes a grandiose expression of our intelligence and strengths and virtues. And in the process, humanity evolves to a higher level. Well, There's 41 minutes of me rambling on without any script, but that's kind of it in a nutshell. So I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to end now and say that if anyone has any ideas about this, send me a voice memo. You can send an email if you want to, but a voice memo would be great. Uh, And let me know if I can use your voice memo, or I guess I'll just ask you if I can use your voice memo if I want to post it in follow-ups about this. And then I'm going to put a link. So I am developing a first-pass screening of these multiple intelligences with the idea that it could be followed up with a one-on-one interview and the field assessments. I'm a long way away from that, but I'm starting and it feels really good to start there. So I'm going to post that link and I'm going to also post some links to the VIA character strengths and virtues. And if you do that and you also fill out the survey for me, can you uh, tell me what your top five, like the the order, your top five uh, strengths are that come out? Because I think that I would really like to put those together and then work towards providing a profile. So (coughs) the first five people who do that fill out my survey and then also do send me their character strengths and virtues will get a, a one-on-one interview with me to start this off. And then I will provide a profile. <coughs> okay, starting to cough a lot. I'm so stuffed up. So I think that that's my cue to end. <coughs>